0: What's up, football fans? Welcome back. It's the Pick'em Show. I'm your host, Nick Scheist. And Kristen's not going to be joining me today. She's a little bit under the weather. And she tends to do a lot better with the picks when she doesn't come in here and help me with the show. So she doesn't want to help. I try to get her in here at least to do the reads, but she's not with me today. So we're going to be flying solo on this one. But, you know what? We still got a lot to cover, so let's get right to it. That's right, you know that music? It's the Pick'em Show. And, you know what? I have not been good about staying up to date with this. Ever since I founded the film club, we do our film club meetings, our discussion groups on Saturday morning. At the minimum, that's usually two hours. Then I got to play catch up after that, see if I have any leftover work from Friday to do for the other podcast and the website. And so by the time that it's actually time to do the Pick'em Show, I sometimes forget or I'm just exhausted and I don't do it. But I still have fun doing it. I still enjoy football. My relationship to it this year has been a little bit different as I kind of scaled back uh, my activities when it comes to football, fantasy football, football content in general. So my apologies, but. After review, the result of the play is first and 15. So there you go, 15 minutes on the clock starting now. I don't know if I'm going to need all 15 minutes to cover this Thursday night game because it was not a particularly good game. So I don't know how much I have to say other than you know, the Chiefs won. They were supposed to win. They were favored by 10 and a half. They won by 11. I ended up picking the Chiefs to win. I picked the Broncos to cover the 10 and a half and they almost did. They were right there. In that game, they weren't too far off. I mean, they finally played as if they had something to play for, and maybe it was only the division rivalry, maybe it was the Chiefs, maybe it was the national spotlight, whatever, but Denver turns the ball over on downs on the first possession of the game rather than kicking a long field goal in the wind. Uh, Then they get intercepted on their second possession once again uh, around midfield. Maybe like 10-yard. I think they were at their own 43. So Russell Wilson gets picked. Can't get anything there. But they get an interception back. They hold KC to the field goal on on Kansas City's first drive of the game. So they're in this game. Uh, And then Denver punts. They punt again. They punt again. They punt again. And two of those are three and outs. The other two drives are four and six plays. So as expected, I mean, they're not very good. We all knew this. Uh, Kansas City eventually gets on the board with the touchdown. They go up 13-0 at the half. They trust Butker to kick long field goals here, and he hits a 60-yarder in the wind to close out the half. And then they get the ball back to start the second half, and they may get 16-0 on another field goal. So at that point, they're well in control of the game. It feels like Denver should have at least had a field goal at this point, maybe even two field goals. So maybe it would have been a 16-6 game. Then they're inside the 10. Uh, at least inside that 10.5-point margin that I had bet on, and this was a tough one to pick because everything on paper said that, yes, the Chiefs are going to win, the Chiefs are going to cover, but I just didn't expect the game to be this low-scoring, this sloppy, this defensive-based. I mean, I knew that Chris Jones was going to be havoc for the interior line of the Broncos. I knew that the Broncos' offense was probably going to struggle at least at some point, but I figured Kansas City would get up more than they did and then Denver would have to throw, maybe they'd get into it that way. But 16-0 KC, what happens on the next Denver drive, Russell Wilson intercepted. I think the, I don't know if the I don't know if this one was tipped, but there was a ton of tipped passes in this game and it's like sort of the holes in Wilson's game are showing and he's had, you know, for the most part to be fair, He's had a good start to this season, statistically. He started, he's played more like the Russell Wilson that they paid all the money for. But, you know, at 1-5, and five, they suck. Bringing in Sean Payton didn't help. And in this game, you you almost get shut out. He gets intercepted. They force another punt, so it's still 16 nothing. If they can score a touchdown and to make it interesting, maybe they exchange punts again, and then they finally score a touchdown, 16-8, to uh, with six minutes left. So at that point, it's an eight-point game. All I really want Kansas City to do at that point with six minutes left in the fourth quarter is just run the ball, get some first downs. You don't need to score. I really don't want a field goal here because that makes it 11 and it busts up the the spread. But they get the field goal and then what does Denver do? They freaking fumble on the next possession and they take themselves out of any chance to score and help me out there, so really no surprises here other than the game was so low scoring and that Denver's defense actually was a match for KC but if you look at points against, Denver's given up 200 points. I don't think any team has given up 200 points this season and I mean obviously Denver's played one more game than everybody else but if you take the 19 out of it, they're still at 191 and that's still way more than the next closest team that's sitting at let me see, 160? That's still 31 more points than the next closest defense has allowed, and that's the Commanders. So, I don't know if that says more about Denver's defense showing up for this game in particular, or if it really says that Kansas City maybe is not as good as their record indicates. I mean, they are 4-1. They've won the games they're supposed to. I mean, shit, they're 4-1. I can't take it away from them. They're still on top of the AFC, where they should be, where they have been. They're the Chiefs, right? They do what they do. They win games. They find ways to win. And they treated Denver like the little brother in this game. I mean, Andy Reid was calling out, like, stupid trick plays out there. He really didn't think Denver was a threat at all. And as it turned out, they weren't. So I guess Andy's right about that. But, you know, realistically, you're looking at, let's see, a fumble, a pick, a turnover on downs, and another interception. That's four turnovers in this game. For the Broncos that's you can't win like that but in terms of points for they have scored so I know the Chiefs defense has been good this year Uh, I don't know if it's as good as it looks on paper because the Chiefs or excuse me the Chiefs are five and one now so uh, I know that you know they lose to the Lions they beat the Jags they beat the Bears they beat the Jets they beat the Vikings So, let's see, Jets losing record, Vikings losing record, Bears losing record. I think at the time they played the Jaguars, the Jags were 0-1. Lions, they lost to. So, the only team with a winning record that they beat was the Broncos. But the Jags have gone on to beat the Bills, establish a winning record of their own. So, I'll give them that one too. But realistically, like, their strength of schedule is weak. And they haven't looked super impressive. They barely beat the Jets. They hang on to beat the Vikings in a close game where Justin Jefferson goes out. They, they struggle here where they shouldn't at home against the Broncos. I know it's the short week, and Thursday night football is kind of ugly, but I think this is not the same Chiefs team that they used to be. I mean, Kelsey can still get it going. They run the ball well. The defense is playing well, and they're going to be in games because of that. So they're still going to be contenders because they still have the coaching. They still have the quarterback play. They still have the Kelsey-Mahomes tandem. They can run the ball, and they can win ugly games like this one, 19-8, or against the Jets, 23-20, or against the Vikings, 27-20, or against the Jags, 17-9. So, and honestly, the way that uh, the Lions game went at the beginning of the season, I feel like the Chiefs probably should have won that game, but, you know, the ball just didn't bounce their way in that one, and the Lions took advantage, so the Chiefs could easily be 6-0. They could also probably realistically be four and two you know so the chiefs are not the super bowl champion chiefs that they were last year there's been a lot of change but they also have the benefit of still being five and one still being on top of the afc and still having the whole rest of the season to really sharpen up their tools and get ready for the final stretch and get better uh so you also look at a team like the Bills that should be a threat to them, but they stumbled and lost to the Jags, who the Chiefs beat. You look at the Bengals, who have been in the AFC title game recently, and they're way out of... Not way out ahead, but at 5-1, and one, they are a step ahead of those other teams that would have been their primary threats at this point. And... Who knows the AFC West not looking particularly good either the AFC North is who knows any any team on any given weekend is going to be the best team in that division uh the AFC South Texans look like they were going to be good but kind of sank on that one the Colts they seem to win games where their young rookie doesn't start or doesn't finish I should say and They don't want to go with the backup, who wins games. And then you've got the Titans, who they don't know who they are right now. They're still struggling. Uh, And you've got the Jags, who are probably in there in the top four or five teams in the AFC because of what's going on right now. So the Chiefs are doing what they're supposed to do, and they got time to figure it out. But, uh, yeah, the Broncos, it's, it's fire sale season on the Broncos, and Russell Wilson was not the answer. And it's funny, when I talked to my brother, he came on the show, two years ago sort of around the time that Russell Wilson was still in Seattle and disgruntled and all that and we had talked then about his best days sort of being behind him and Seattle knowing it and Pete Carroll knowing it and making that big trade for him after the Jamal Adams deal and you know Seattle's gone on to still at the very least be way better than Denver so Seattle definitely won that situation and I feel bad for Russ in that like he's been sacked so much and his offensive line play has not been great. And Denver's not really running the ball that well right now. And his receiving core has been injured since he's been there. They've had a rookie head coach. Now they have Sean Payton and it looks like they're basically going to implode everything because they can't unload Russell Wilson's contract. So they don't really have a choice. And I don't know what options Denver has right now, but If I'm any team that's a contender that sees value in anybody on the Broncos, it's time to start making some calls because I know there's a lot of teams around the league that could use some talent. And, I mean, if Nick Benito or Alex Singleton's available, I mean, I don't think they're going to trade Sertan. But, man, it's rough for Broncos country right now because... If you're riding with Russell Wilson, it's sad. I mean, they thought he was going to be the savior. They thought it was going to be the Peyton Manning situation all over again. But it's just not. Like, when Russell Wilson can't use his legs to extend plays and they don't have a running game and they're not running the kind of offense that they did in Seattle to sort of amplify his ability to play sideways, he struggles. And, you know, at the rate he's going right now, with the contract he's got, it's, it's coming quickly to the point where... He's going to be a cap casualty at some point, and then he's going to end up as either a backup or he's going to have to take a a deal somewhere. But I think the weirdest thing about the Russell Wilson situation is that there was a time where Drew Brees was getting ready to retire and Russ was unhappy in Seattle, and the most logical destination for him in my mind was New Orleans. And then that doesn't happen that year. He stays in Seattle. They have a decent year. I think they were like 12-4 and that year. They may have even won the West, and then they lost at home in the first round of the playoffs to the Rams that year, and then it was, all right, time to shop Russell Wilson, but had he ended up on that New Orleans team, he would have been playing for Sean Payton, and they would have had the defense, and Alvin Kamara, and Michael Thomas, so it just would have been a much better situation than ending up in Denver, although I don't know that Seattle would have made that deal to ship him over to New Orleans, but You know, not much else to say about this game. So, we'll put a pin in that, and we'll move on to the games that we have on deck this week. Two minutes to win it. Alright, we're getting started with the Ravens at the Titans, but both of them at London. I'm not going to wake up to watch this game for a couple of reasons, but I just don't like it. Uh, The Ravens have not looked great in these last couple of games, and it's not that... You know, they, they, I mean, they beat a Cleveland team who was on like a rookie quarterback. Uh, I think it was playing, like an XFL quarterback, basically. But the way that they blew the win against Indy, uh, the way that they blew the win against Pittsburgh, it's on Lamar Jackson. I don't think he's playing particularly well right now. And like, if he can't close out games, they're going to struggle because they play, for the most part, pretty close games. And if Tennessee does nothing well, what they do fairly well is they limit the run. So if Baltimore can't run the ball here, it's going to be tough sledding. And I know they've got some guys out. Uh, Traylon Burke's still out. I don't know. they got to—ever since getting rid of Corey Davis and then moving on from A.J. Brown, and, like, that whole receiver situation has been bad. But they're missing Elijah Molden at corner. Luke Gifford at linebacker is going to be out. But I still—I just—I don't—I don't trust either team. And going on the road, I really don't know what to expect here, but I would trust the Derrick Henry. I would trust the DeAndre Hopkins. I know Baltimore's favored 68% in this game. They're favored by 4.5, over-under of 42.5. Yikes. I'm going to say the over-under is kind of low, but it is London. I'll take the over at 42.5. And And I'm going to take Tennessee to win this game outright and cover the 4.5. I just don't trust Baltimore enough to make it happen right now i'm sorry next up we have the washington commanders on the road at the surprisingly three and two atlanta falcons if you were to ask me who i think the better team is i would have said washington but i don't know anymore because the way they lost to chicago was embarrassing they played close against philly right before that they got hammered by the Bills the week before that, 37-3. And then they beat what's very obviously a bad Denver team in a close game. And Arizona, who I think is 1-4, and four, they beat them 20-16. So close games against bad teams. And then one close game against a good team. A smashing by a good team. And a smashing by a not good team. So it's really tough to tell like what identity Washington is. But Atlanta doesn't seem to have anybody on the injury report if you look at the amount of rushing yards given up per game Washington at 133 a game is not a good recipe against an offense that likes to run the ball against an offense that maybe found a little bit of the Kyle Pitts that they drafted and I know Atlanta doesn't really score all that much but They give up way fewer points too. They've only given up 96 points. So their defense has been good. And I like Arthur Smith as a coach. Washington, on the other hand, as I mentioned at the outset of the show, is the team that's given up the second most points in football. And they still have a whole game to go. So if anything, I'm taking the over in this game at 42 and a half. Uh, I could still still see a lot of field goals in this game because they're in the dome. Both teams like to run the ball. I think Washington probably has the better passing attack. Uh... But Atlanta is not gonna let them lean on that too much. They're gonna force them into positions where like, they have to be efficient. And we've seen that Sam Howell, while he's had good moments, is efficient's not the word I would use to describe him with six touchdowns and six picks. Ritter's right there with him with four touchdowns and three picks. They're both gonna run the ball. It's gonna be a game that I think is probably decided by a field goal or less. So I could see that Atlanta two and a half being accurate. Uh, yeah, I don't trust Washington, but in my gut, I think that they're a slightly better team, and they're going to be embarrassed after that Bears loss. I'll take Washington to win on the road, which means they're going to cover, and I will take the over 42 and a half. Next up, we have the Vikings, one and four, on the road, at the Bears, one and four. This is a slop fest, all right. And, you know, Justin Jefferson's out, which is really bad news for the Vikings and for Kirk Cousins fantasy owners like myself. And the Bears, like, hey, if last week was an indication of anything, it's that they have potential. And once they stop trying to rein Justin Fields in and make him a traditional pocket passer, they can score points. And I know Eddie Jackson's questionable. Uh, Terrell Smith is out Equinemius St. Brown is on IR, Kyle Gordon's on IR Khalil Herbert's on IR but Donson Foreman stepping in at running back I think fits Chicago's style really well and it's probably uh, a better injury situation than trying to replace a Justin Jefferson I'm hoping that both of these defenses are so bad that they're going to score on each other. So I'll take over 43 and a half. but we may end up in a Carolina-Minnesota situation, which I think was like, what, 15-10, 17-10? Something horrible like that that nobody should be subjected to. When you get two bad teams, if nothing else, you want to see them score on each other. You don't want to see them both be so bad that nobody scores. So Minnesota favored on the road by three seems like a lot in a spot where you don't have Justin Jefferson. Uh, I do think that they are technically the better team. They've been together longer. They, you know, on paper, run the ball better. They throw the ball better. Their defense is technically slightly better, I think. But in terms of yards allowed, I mean, it's, it's a push, you know, they, they're a little bit better. Um, but in terms of yards for, they throw the ball better. It's ugly. Minnesota needs this. I mean, Chicago's still in the building stage, but if Minnesota wants any chance at the rest of the season, they're going to have to win this game. So I'll take Minnesota on the road by three over 43 and a half. And up next, we have the Seahawks, three and one, on the road at the Bengals, who are two and three. Cincinnati's been off to a rough start, but they go as. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase goes and when those two go well they go really well and you know Cincinnati has struggled their offense has really been the issue here they are not even averaging 300 yards a game of offense their running game has been stale their passing game's been bad I don't know that Seattle is going to match up particularly well with Chase here Uh, Artie Burns is out Kobe Bryant's out for them Damian Lewis at guard is doubtful, too, so they're going to miss a piece along the offensive line. D. Eskridge went on reserves. He's suspended, I guess. Uh, They're still—T. Higgins is questionable, so he may come back. And I know Seattle has won their last three in a row, and they score, you know. They scored 37 against Detroit, beat them. That's a huge win for them. Uh, They beat Carolina 37-27. They beat the Giants 24-3. And then on the other hand, the Bengals have not looked great, but they did beat Arizona. Eh. Then they they got pummeled by the Titans. They held off the Rams. They tried to mount a comeback against the Ravens and couldn't. And then they lost their other division game to Cleveland. So, I mean, everything's pointing to Seattle here, right? But if Burrow's calf is okay and he can play his style of game, they may have a better chance. It's in Cincinnati. Seattle is favored in the matchup predictor at ESPN, 53.5%, which is surprising, uh, especially as a home game. I can see why Cincy's favored. Three seems like a lot, though. This seems more like a one and a half, two and a half spread kind of game. So Cincy by a field goal at home is a little awkward in that regard. So I could see it being close. You look at something like points Cincinnati hasn't scored that many but you know their defense has only given up 114 Seattle's at 91 so it's not like either of these defenses gives up a ton of points but I could see them scoring on each other here because of just the pace of the game and both of these teams like play an explosive style of offense they both like to go down the field they both like to hit big plays I'm gonna take Cincinnati and I don't know why. I think more because Seattle can sort of afford to lose this game. And I think some of the defensive combinations, if Cincinnati plays their best, uh, their def- their defense can confuse Seattle's offense. So, yeah, Geno Smith is thrown for 800 yards. And even though Joe Burrow has not really played well, he's thrown for 200 more yards. Both got five touchdowns. Uh, yeah, Chase, you gotta deal with Chase. I think it's harder to stop the weapons of the Bengals when they play well than vice versa. So I gotta go with Cincy, but I'll, I'll take Seattle in a weird sneaky cover where it's like a one or two point game. And hopefully it's over 45 because that would be a fun one to watch. Up next, we got the 49ers. Somehow they're only 73.6% matchup prediction favorites against the Browns in Cleveland, Niners by nine and a half. I don't think Deshaun Watson's playing in this game from what I heard. looks like he's out. Uh, Their center, Pochik is questionable. Benito's out. And Joke is questionable. Yikes. You got two offensive linemen that are in danger against this very good 49ers defense. You know, if Cleveland was playing up to their 100% potential, I could see this being a trap game kind of situation. And even though their defense is good, like, look what the Niners did to the Dallas defense, Right. Cleveland's defense is good, but aside from some dominance here and there, they're they're a pretty mediocre team at, you know, they've they've scored 76, they've given up 60. So, they're almost at even there. The Niners are 99 points above even on their points for and points against. So, the Niners score and they hold their opponents in check. So, even a bad Niners performance here and they can still win this game. I think I I don't know what Cleveland does well enough to be competitive other than maybe they play super physical and make the Niners not want to have it. But, like, the Niners play that way, too. So, I got to go San Francisco by 9.5. Over under 36. uh, Are the Niners going to score 36 by themselves? Maybe against this defense, no. But I don't see... The Cleveland offense being able to stay on the field very long so that's such a I gotta go over it's so low that I'll take the over just because I think the Niners could maybe get to 38 by themselves in this game if they touch the ball enough uh, so Niners by nine and a half over 36 I'm not gonna overthink this one and just go with it up next we got the Carolina Panthers own five living in the basement 0 three on the road heading to Miami four and one two and zero at home like Miami being favored 87 percent in this game but the Niners n- being favored less than that against the Browns who are not even playing their starting quarterback that makes no sense to me I would if I had to pick a suicide pool pick and in, in between these two I would definitely take the 49ers in that one I don't know what's going on with Miles Sanders over here in Carolina they bring him in to be the workhorse back and just has not been able to do it um you got poor Devin O'Kane, who had played so well and now finds himself on injured reserve in Miami. You got Jeff Wilson Jr. on IR. Connor Williams in the offensive line is out. And then Carolina, I mean, okay, their tight end's missing. Von Bell's out. Austin Corbett's on the pup list. Chandler Zavala is out. But th- there's no reason for me to think Carolina hangs in this game. I mean,. It is a 14-point spread, though, so I could see I could see them scoring. I mean, Bryce Young has played moderately well, and the Miami defense is not super impressive. So with Miami giving up more yards allowed per game, more yards uh, through the air especially, it could be a situation where Carolina gets inside that 14. 14 is so many points. I know it's Miami. I know they score... It's just, it's it's a little difficult to think that on a game like this. I mean, they're at home. I understand they probably should win. But look, their points for is 181, points against 135. So it's like, yeah, they've outscored their opponents by 40-something combined. But I don't know. It's not, it's not as surefire of a cover. Can they win by 14? Yeah, of course they can. Do they is the question. Uh, And that I don't know. I'm going to say no in this case. I think they win. They win comfortably. They win by 13. And I'll take the over 47 and a half. I mean, who knows? They scored 70 on Denver. They might just blow the doors off Carolina completely. But I'm going to try to sneak in a little ugly cover here and get Carolina one. So, like I said, Miami wins by 13. And we go over 47 and a half. Up next, we got the Colts on the road at the Jaguars. Anthony Richardson's on IR, which actually gives the Colts a better chance to win because they're going to have a veteran quarterback in Minshew under center. Evan Hull's on IR, too, although he's not playing. Uh, Braden Smith is out at tackle. Their center is questionable. He'll probably play. But then looking at Jacksonville, Zay Jones is out. Not that that's going to make or break them now that Ridley's there. Uh, Walker Little tackles out. Christian Braswell-Corner is out. Devin Lloyd's questionable. And Devon Hamilton is on IR. I mean, I think the Jags win this game. The Colts, when was the last time the Colts went into Jacksonville and won? I can't remember. It's been six or seven years, I think, since that's happened. And, you know, I see that Jacksonville is barely outscoring their opponents. I mean, both these teams are 3-2. and two. They've both barely scored more than they've given up. So these teams are sort of like mirror images of each other. But I think the Jags took a bigger step forward last year than the Colts did. And it just seems like, you know, I mean, Jonathan Taylor's back and that's going to help. But I look at what the Jags defense was able to do to a pretty good Bills offense and a Bills offense that had established a running game. Like If the Colts can't run the ball in this game, they're going to struggle. I think they can run. Uh, I think they probably will do a solid job of getting their running backs involved, but the Jags are only giving up 81 yards on the ground per game, so that's where the game is going to be won and lost. Uh, If they take this seriously and they sort of look at the last couple of games as a couple of get-right games and they're back on track, I think the Jags are the better team. So the Jags by four and a half, uh, over under 44 and a half. I'm going to say that this game is going to be a division game, let's say under 44 and a half Jags win, and they win by four and a half. And up next, we got the Saints on the road at the Texans. Right when I was starting to trust the Texans, right when I was starting to believe in them when I was starting to believe in CJ Stroud who in fairness has played well I don't I don't even think he has a turnover at least he doesn't have an interception seven touchdowns playing better than Derek Carr uh, but you look at the, the Saints and they got Lonnie Johnson out, Landon Young out Juwan Johnson out, Adam Prentice is out Andres Peet's questionable and on the other side Noah Brown is on IR but the Texans offense has been better excuse me their defense, not so much. Their defense has been worse, and I think a good defensive performance here by the Saints is probably in order. This is just a young Texans team. I think they do have potential. I think they found their guy in Stroud, and you know, with some of the pieces they have in place, they're going to be okay here. Excuse me again. New Orleans favored by two, though, on the road with Kamara back over under 42.5. I'll take the over at 42.5. I don't know why. I'm just I'm hopeful. And I think the Saints win by two. We get a 23-20, 24-21 type of game out of this, I hope. Uh, it could be a fun one, though, between a team that's sort of in limbo between whether or not they're going to be good or bad this season, whether or not Derek Carr is going to be able to make them a playoff team and they start to contend with him and the Texans team that is going from being like arguably the worst team in football to being a pretty solid team and if nothing else a pretty tough out for every team but i'm going to go with the Saints here in a in a game where their defense wins it for them so maybe i don't know i'll stick with over 42 and a half because i want to see that but it could definitely be on the underside of that one uh, up next we got Mac Jones and the Patriots I don't know how they're even 44% favorites in this game. The Patriots suck, but the Raiders have not shown to be significantly better at this point. Jonathan Jones, corner is out. No, he's not out, excuse me, he's questionable. It's Cole Strange, the guard. uh, Riley Reef, who's out. Tyrone Wheatley Jr. is out. So a lot of issues along the offensive line, and that's not good when Max Crosby is on the other side because Max Crosby is a a game-wrecking kind of presence. And I look at the games the Raiders have lost, and they scored 17, 18, 10. In the two games they won, they scored 17 and 17, both defensive wins. And then on the other side, the Patriots get hammered by Dallas, 38-3, hammered by New Orleans, 34-0. They hang in there, and they beat a Jets team, because they always beat Zach Wilson. And then they, they had some close games against Miami and Philly earlier in the year, but... I don't know. The Patriots are not good. You know, their offense struggles. So does the Raiders. And their defense is maybe slightly better. But I just think at this point in the season, I I don't have anything to hang my hat on with the Patriots. I think Mac Jones is not good. Uh, Jimmy G has not been great either. Both of these quarterbacks have more interceptions than they have touchdowns. But one team's got Devontae Adams, one team's got Josh Jacobs, one team has Max Crosby, so I'm gonna go with talent here, and I'll take Vegas to win at home by three in a game that is gonna be under 41 and a half, more likely than not, much to the chagrin of all of us that are gonna see it. Next up, we got the Cardinals on the road against the Rams. The cards are 27.1 percent odds, according to ESPN. Rams are favored by seven. I think that's way too much in this game. I know Connor's out, but the way that Arizona plays, I just don't see... I don't see it being that much of a blowout. I know that they lost to the Bengals by double digits. They lost to the Niners by double digits. And the Rams ain't either of those teams, though. They do have Cooper cutback, so it's possible that the Rams get in it, but this is a division game. I just don't see it being a blowout. I see it being competitive because they were competitive with the 49ers for a little bit until the Niners showed that they're the better team. They're competitive with Cincy until Cincy showed they were the better team. So I think the Rams may ultimately show that they're the better team. But seven points is a lot here. Over 48 and a half. I like that, though. This could be a fun, high-scoring game. Uh, Both of these teams have scored over 100. Both of these teams have given up over 100 so far on the season. So... All signs point to this at least being moderately high scoring. Maybe they don't quite get to 49, but I'd like them to break 48 and a half. That sounds fun. But I'll take the Rams to win. I will take Arizona to cover the seven and we'll go over 48 and a half. Next, up, uh, we got the Eagles at the Jets. Jets defense is good. I think they could give the Eagles some problems. Philly by six and a half seems pretty generous here, especially when you see how closely the Jets played. The Chiefs, you know, Jets gave up a lot to the Broncos, so that's not promising, but, you know, they also gave up 30 to Dallas. I don't know, I just, from what I've seen from the Eagles, I know that they've won, but, you know, fairly close game against the Rams, close game against Washington, not a super close game against Tampa, but 25 11 is not like domination. They beat Minnesota 34-28. They beat New England 25-20. So they're not really smoking the teams that they should be theoretically a lot better than. And I think when, when both of these defenses are good, we get probably a low-scoring game here. And I think the Eagles defense uh, outmatches the Jets offense more than vice versa. But I could see this being an under 41 and a half kind of game. I like the Jets to cover the six and a half on the strength of their defense. But this is a good litmus test for both teams. Like can the Jets play, be competitive and threaten to beat the five and O Eagles? And can the Eagles who have not really dominated anybody yet come out and show that they're capable of beating a team that's two and three who is on their backup quarterback, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a good good push game for both teams I'll take Eagles to win. They are the better team. I think they're ultimately more talented on offense and they'll find a way to get it done even if it's close. The Jets, I I believe in their defense, but I don't believe in their offense and beating a bad Broncos team is less impressive to me than playing a close game against kansas city to be honest or beating the bills in week one like those are better markers of who they are than them beating the the shitty broncos so eagles win jets by six and a half or just cover by six and a half uh under 41 and a half and we get the lions on the road against the bucks should be a good one both of these teams, I think, are a little surprising. They're on top of their divisions. I don't think it's a surprise that Detroit is on top of their division. They are a good team last year, and they were sort of turning the corner. The Bucks, though, with Baker Mayfield at 3-1, and one, I think this is a game for them coming out of the bye week where it's set up for them to have a good shot here. They're at home. Oh, excuse me, I'm yawning. us up early for film club. But, yeah, they're at home. They have a solid defense, but when you actually look at the defensive numbers, uh, Detroit gives up fewer rushing yards. They give up about the same amount of passing yards. Uh, Detroit runs the ball better, and they throw the ball better. So Detroit realistically does everything better, but they are not going to have C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who went on IR, I think, a week or two ago. Uh, Brian Branch, the safety, he's out too. Jonah Jackson, their guard, is out. I just have to trust that the Lions are further along in the process. And, you know, playing 4-1, and one, they're in stride. Minus 3 on the road, I think, is pretty easy. I'll take over 42 and a half. These teams can score. And I think it's gonna be fun. I'm still holding on to the Detroit defense for this game because I think the way they get after the football uh, along the defensive line is gonna be fun. But I'm happy for Baker Mayfield. I hope this game is competitive for that reason, because I want to see you know, Baker play well, but I think the run strength, the pass rush, and the shutdown run defense from the Lions is really going to be the deciding factor here. They give up less than 70 rushing yards a game, Detroit. I mean, yeah, they put you in a bind where you kind of have to throw, but like that's a lot of really good defense there. So. I got to go with the Lions by three. I think that's a favorable spot for them. And uh, the Bucks lose this one probably, but they combine for over 42.5, and, you know, the Bucks bounce back in the future. And then we move to Sunday night as the New York football Giants get to play in New York for a change as they match up against my Buffalo Bills. And the Bills... You know, they're coming back from London after a game where I think they know that they could have played better than they did. The Jags just have their number, though. You got both tight ends for the Bills questionable, but at least one of them is going to play. I heard Baelin Spector's coming back, although he's listed on injured reserve still. Poor Daquan Jones went to IR. Matt Milano to IR. Trey White to IR. So the Bills are hurting on the defensive side of the ball, but they do have a lot of depth on the D-line, and that's going to help them out here. Daniel Jones is not playing well right now. Uh, Nobody on the Giants really is. But Josh Allen's still doing his thing. James Cook, I think, has a bounce-back game in this one. You got Diggs balling out still. There's there's really little indication here to make me think that the Giants compete in this one. My favorite thing about this game is that Tyrod Taylor is going to start for the Giants, and he's going to come back to Buffalo for the first time since ending the Bills' playoff drought. So I'm excited to see Tyrod play, and I hope he plays well, but I just don't want him to play well enough to give them a chance to win this game. And if you look at the offensive line, you got Andrew Thomas. uh, He's out. Matt Pert is out. John Michael Schmidt Jr. is out. Evan Neal, their other tackle, questionable. I mean, coming into this Bills game where you've got to sign guys just to field an active roster against this kind of defense that just got Von Miller back, that's a, that's a lot to ask, and I don't want to see Tyrod get hurt, but he's going to be under pressure. I don't see any reason the Bills lose this game. I think they they hammer him pretty good, and let's see, Bills by 15? Yeah, I'll take that. And the over-under 44, I don't know if the Giants can score, so I've got to say under 44, but mostly because it's all the Bills scoring, and it's like a 37-3 type of game like we got against the Commanders. And last but not least, bringing us home on Monday night, we get the Dallas Cowboys 3-2 on the road against the Los Angeles Chargers. Should be a fun one. Dallas is favored by 1.5. I don't know if is out, though. I don't know why they're favored, other than they're the Cowboys and they got a good defense, but, you know, the Chargers run the ball about as well. They throw the ball way better. I think it's got to be the defense because the Chargers pass defense sucks. It's really bad. They give up over 300 yards a game passing, which is shocking. But, you know, Joey Bosa, questionable again. Nick Williams, a defensive tackle, questionable. Deanne Leonard, questionable. Aloha Gilman, questionable. So this should be a fun shootout-y type of game. Over under 51, I'll take the over because I'm hoping that it's nice and exciting like that, especially to close it out on Monday night. You got Dak and Herbert both about the same. They're both, uh, you know, between 1,000 and 1,100 yards-ish. Herbert's played better, though, and I think even without Mike Williams, they just – I think Herbert's the better quarterback, to be honest. I, I like Dak. I don't hate him at all. I think he just has not evolved significantly since he got good. And now they really don't want to put the pressure on him. They want to run the ball. They want to play defense. They they're not asking him to throw the ball like he was in other seasons. So it's not entirely on him in that regard either. But I feel like Herbert has played better over the last few seasons total. Although they're in a similar position where they have a ton of talent. They underachieve. And it just kind of is what it is. It's like looking in the mirror with these two teams and sort of whoever has the ball last is going to win. But you look at points for when Dallas like stomps, they stomp. And then the Chargers have had trouble winning games. Uh, And a lot of that is due to coaching decisions. So this is this is a tough one. I could see Dallas winning this on the strength of uh, their defensive speed their run game a little bit of uh, Prescott magic here against a bad pass defense but I could also see the Chargers winning because they can play a little bit of power football themselves I think the speed of the Dallas defense especially after last week against the 49ers uh, seeing what the the ceiling look like and getting your asses kicked they have to have a bounce back game And the Chargers, you know, they barely beat the Vikings. They barely beat the Raiders. These are not impressive wins. Plus, they lost to Tennessee. They lost to Miami. Yeah, you know what? I will go with Dallas on the strength of their defense to get it done. So I can see that the 1.5 is actually pretty favorable. But maybe we go under 51 on this one. No. Yes, no. Ugh. I'm so bad at the over-under. What was my gut? My gut said over, so that means I should take the under. So I'm going to take the under. And we'll go Cowboys win by a field goal, maybe. Whatever. Cowboys win by one and a half on the road. And we are going to go counterintuitively with the under of 51. And that brings us home on Monday night. And now, Reds Picks. Ritz took the Chiefs in that first game, although she kind of cheated because the game was over before I asked her for a decision, but, you know, she's a dog, so it ain't really cheating. But she mixed up her strategy this week, and she started with an away team. So she's taking the Ravens over the Titans to start, but then she went back home, which she loves to do. She takes the Falcons over the Commanders in that one, back on the road to take Minnesota over the Bears. Surprisingly, she loves the Bears then back to Cincinnati to take the Bengals over the Seahawks, then back to San Francisco to take the Niners on the road over the Browns. Then she went on a little bit of a home run. She took the Dolphins over the Panthers, the Jags over the Colts, the Texans over the Saints, the Raiders over the Patriots, Rams over Cardinals. She took the Jets over the Eagles, but then back on the road to take the Lions, then back home to take the Bills good girl and the chargers to close it out on monday night since Kristen did not grace us with her presence for this one i'm gonna say it for her happy football sunday take care everybody thank you to everybody who took the time to listen to this episode i do appreciate it and i do believe that word of mouth is still the best way to help so if you liked what you heard then please tell somebody but otherwise liking subscribing sharing all that stuff helps too this show is an extension of thescheiss.com and you can contact me at nick at or at shicepodcast on twitter and until next time stay safe be well and go bills